I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. You don't have to be a wife or a mother if you don't want to. Then what would I be? You. You don't own me. I'm not your property. So take a shift a little bit of me. Men. Fucking pathological. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, our weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show, and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode of The Handmaid's Tale Season 3 premieres on SBS and at SBS On Demand. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS, and I'm joined by my colleagues and fellow resistors, Natalie Handley of SBS Voices. Hi. Haiti Island of SBS On Demand. Hi. And a snoozy baby Greta. Well, not so snoozy. <laughs> She's <laughs> wide awake at the moment. I may have to step out. Trying to get there. <laughs> Oh, there she goes. <laughs> and we were speculating who might be coming in on the plane from Canada. And uh, I think we got that answer. Sana Kadar. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Of ABC Life. Welcome back. Thank you. It was great. I hung out with Emily. Moira. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> and Marita. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, we're glad to have you back and not a moment too soon to recap this finale, which we have just watched. So today we're going to be doing our immediate reactions to the finale episode, episode 13. Uh, But we're not going to go too big with it. We'll do some of the key standout moments because we do have one more episode of our podcast to go. This is going to be the Eyes on Gilead live show that we've decided to do with a room full of our fellow resistors. So in that one, we will be touching on the finale again and also reviewing the season as a whole, including some of our predictions of what season four is going to be holding. But as I say, we've just watched episode 13, so we're going to do some of our first thoughts about that today. This one is called Mayday. Is this it? Mayday. Is it? Yes. With her plan in place, June reaches the point of no return on her bold strike against Gilead. Get everybody out, get the bags, use both doors, go. And she must decide how far she's willing to go. If you try to run, I will shoot you. I swear to God, I will. Meanwhile, Serena Joy and Commander Waterford attempt to find their way forward in their new lives. I have some uncomfortable information to report. Serious crimes committed by my wife. (laughs) And good luck with that. (laughs) Um, So... Let's go around the room. If you can single out one specific thing that stood out for you in this finale, let's do that. Sana, welcome back. Let's start with you. Um, Well, so I've talked about how I haven't actually cried much over the course of this season, but I did cry in this episode, definitely. Particularly when Luke was craning his neck to see if Hannah was in the plane, and Mm. she, of course, wasn't, and it was so sad. Yeah, I I was pretty teary then. But also just the injustice of, like, June's entire household is basically in Canada now, except for her, with, you know, Rita now there, apart from also Nick, I suppose. But who the hell knows where he is? So the injustice of it all, but also that, you know, rather emotional moment. Yeah. 
And on the crying, the music this episode. Yeah. I was very aware that it was guiding me and I'm normally a little <laughs> put off by being guided by the music, but yeah, I just let it. Uh, the final song. Oh my God. Beautiful. And loved yeah, it. Yeah. So good. Mm, stunning. Mm. And the score throughout was like a heartbeat, really. Like it was a bit racy when the moments where it was a bit of action was about Ooh, to happen. It starts that way too. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh my God. That, yes. Anywho, we're getting right into it. Um, <laughs> Nat, what stood out for you? Well, I was, um, look, I had high expectations because the finale last year was so gripping and sort of hold your breath intense. And I thought they have to do something like that again. And you know what they did? Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was amazing to watch. But what stood out for me is kind of the same as last week. It was Moira who just gets her amazing lines. And there's just one line that she had and, you know, she didn't have very many at all. But um, what she did say was like she was the first one to get on that plane. She was the first one to see all those kids. And she just went like, my My name name is Moira Moira. and I'm here to help. I'm here to help you. And I'm just like, oh, my God, (laughs) I'm a mess now. (laughs) Good one, Moira. (laughs) Um, Heidi, what stood out for you? Look, I usually choose a fairly throwaway moment as my standout, usually because I've got a child that's still falling asleep on me <laughs> on me, and I'm a little bit distracted at this point in the podcast. But um, my standout moment was actually the same as you, Sana. Oh. But I think for maybe like in a slightly different way, I think like The Handmaid's Tale coincided with me becoming a mother three years ago and it was the first TV show I watched post-motherhood when I really felt the onslaught of parent hormones, <laughs> um, which until you felt them, you don't really quite, I think, understand how strong they can be. And um, and so for me, The Handmaid's Tale marked that turning point in how I experience stories about children and particularly the storyline of, of Hannah and the scene in last season where June and Hannah had their brief meeting in the Mackenzie summer house was probably the most affecting thing I've ever seen on TV. And since that scene, <laughs> anything to do with Hannah is just like a massive trigger for me. So yeah, when Luke was um, standing in that Canadian airport looking at the door waiting for Hannah to come out and you know we all knew that Hannah wasn't coming out, just yeah. absolutely broke me. Aww. It was just so powerful and... Um, Hannah really is the the kind of holy grail in the show now and <laughs> um, if she comes back or when she comes back I just don't know how I'm going to deal with it it's going to be too much <laughs> so yeah that was my standout the same as you Sana <laughs> thank you Heidi um, I don't know how I'm going to top that now <laughs> Um, I don't think I will. For me, it was um, Elizabeth Moss's Bradley Whitford impersonation I think when she adopted his cadence in telling him you don't run your household anymore mate You are not in charge. I am. So, go to your office and find me a fucking map. Thank you. (laughs) It was the way he would have said it to everyone in the household and she just kind of, it was just a little bit of a... um, Stab in the guts that I quite enjoyed. That's so true, because <laughs> that I was thinking this delivery is rather weird. It's very yeah. unlike you. And yeah. you're right, it is how Lawrence would have said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Joseph. <laughs> um, because I, the way he does deliver his lines has always been a little bit off-putting to me. At first, I was a little bit, oof, what are you doing there? But 
you know, I, I think it makes sense and because it, it is showy the way he does deliver his lines as Lawrence and... Yeah, here I think when she adopts that, it's a nice footnote to a season of him throwing his weight around in the household to get get some of that back in the finale was nice. That's What's so funny because I love the way he delivers all of his lines. I'm just such a Bradley Whitford fan. Mm-hmm. And that's like part of my problem is because I like Bradley Whitford so much and he's just playing this horrible guy. <laughs> it's really upsetting and concerning for me. What was with the young lady part though? Like that was the most pathetic thing you could have possibly <laughs> yeah, said in that yeah. moment. I was pretty well, funny. But I, I love the, oh, Joseph, look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> she, yeah. yeah, I think he says it in the show for us to get that great look from Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, so that was mine. And uh, I mean... You alluded to it, Sana, but my God, we are right into it when this episode starts and it's, you know, disorientating and alarming and... Fear-inducing. Fear-inducing, horrifying, all of the adjectives. So a great way to remind us of five years ago in Gilead, you know, the creation of Gilead, what the women being rounded up in, you know, evoking images of the Holocaust and, yeah... Yeah, those those scenes are always some of the scariest for me when you're like, oh, this is the transition from normal life into the dystopia that is Gilead and and seeing normality stripped from everyone, literally, um, you know, in some of those scenes. And yeah, the Nazi parallels with people with disabilities being shunted off probably to their death Mm. was pretty terrifying to watch. Like those opening scenes were so grim, so horrifying. But um, it did actually feel like this episode just felt like a whole movie plot, really, because it starts with... The very beginning, really, of kind of like where Gilead began. So, yeah, you know what? I would actually love to watch that movie as well. Makers out there. (laughs) Three seasons and a movie. So, and Janine, a little glimpse of Janine. Oh, loved seeing Janine. When she was, you know, when she still had the fire before, she still had both her eyes. Um, She was threatening to sue them. Because and buy a beach house with the money. Yeah. <laughs> in Stone Harbour, which is New Jersey, I think. I have no idea. Yeah, I think it's sort of a kind of a well-to-do area in New yeah, Jersey. Right. She was going to buy a mansion there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was that was a nice touch. But also the interaction with the Guardian, like that was a telling point because obviously later on when June kind of adopts the same demeanour when she's trying to rein things in at the at the household. Yeah, that, that interaction with the Guardian who just, shut up, I've got a gun, you don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> just do as you're told. Yeah, just in seeing now how far June has come over the course of those five years to get to the point where she's, she actually does put a gun on a child's face to in order to not disrupt the entire plan. Yeah, that was that was interesting because I was thinking about um, like they're playing with the idea of who's a liability, and and that's partly why you know she let um Mrs Lawrence kill herself and not intervene. And this episode, you really I got the sense anyways that the liability she should have probably killed is that Martha yeah. running away, who's now you know probably going to snitch on the whole plan. Um, we'll see what happens, but. Uh, yeah, like I, I was thinking about actually, if you were to, you were going to off anyone, it would probably need to be the Martha rather than Mrs. Lawrence. Yeah, right. I thought that was a, a great journey, really, of her with that gun, which we've been seeing flashing around now for like a few episodes. And so she quickly got it when she thought she needed it, but she wasn't ready to pull the trigger yet, even though she should have. Like she really should have shot that Martha. God, it's horrible to say I that. Know, I know. Wow. <laughs> the evolution of us as well as oh viewers. <laughs> She was just scared, but yeah. (laughs) But also the sound of a gunshot could also have called people to the house. Like, you know, it's not just, it's a noisy weapon of choice. Oh, I don't like that. (laughs) She had that gun in her hand a few times because she had it again when like Lawrence came to try and shut the whole thing Mm -hmm. down. So when she actually finally 
did use it. I thought it was interesting that like um like I loved that sort of action dune scene when she was lying face down in like those woods and then she just flipped over and she shot immediately. Like there was no hesitation. So yeah, I kind of liked the journey that she sort of went on with that gun and how willing and able she was to actually use it. Because Mm. in the beginning, perhaps when perhaps when she should have she really actually couldn't, and then when it really mattered at the end, there was just, like, she just went for it. I mean, she shot the person who most deserved, really, mm-hmm. in the end, to be shot. I cheered. <laughs> yeah. But also she didn't use it on him immediately either. She was throwing rocks to start yeah. with. Because also she's, you know, she doesn't have a lot of gun shooting experience, I wouldn't have thought. So that was, she was good at close range, but, you know, when it was to the cars and to, as a distraction was the, the goal, I thought it was I a guess. great tactic because if you... Open with fire, then they're going to retaliate with fire. Yeah. So, but also that whole stoning scene actually reminded mm. me of those previous stoning scenes when the handmaids were ordered by Aunt Lydia to like stone Janine to death. Which totally. Thankfully, they didn't because she was so great in this episode. I'm so proud of Janine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that we got to see original Janine back when she was quite fiery before, you know, Lydia had taken out her eye and basically broken her will. Um, and it was so nice to see her back again. She was thrilled putting the soap into June's bag. And she was one of the ones that saved her at the end, right? Yeah, she returned to let them know, you know, they're onto you, you need to go quicker. Yeah. She she was the messenger. And then, yeah, she came. So, you know, the allies that June's been looking for all year mm-hmm. weren't any higher up in the Gilead hierarchy than fellow handmaids and Martha's. So. Isn't that great? Yeah. I love it's a nice that. nice touch. Yeah. yeah. And also that line where she says, like when that Martha, who should have been shot, says, <laughs> is this Mayday? And she's like, yes, it is. And I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. She was looking She was looking for her crew all season and it turns out she's it and she had actually built it herself yeah. without kind of even realising, you know. Because um, I worried at that point. I was like, oh, no, are these two plans going to clash because remember there was talk of some other Martha plan and she was going to clash with it and I so I thought that stuff at that point was going to go seriously downhill but I'm glad it didn't yeah and you know being asked the question is is this Mayday and all we've heard all through the series is about Mayday and I get it nods I guess to that line where June says to Sienna stop waiting for someone to hold your fucking hand like Mm. if someone asks you the question if you're Mayday well Sure. Yeah, why not? This is about as close as it gets to I was like, Sienna, you waited until the day when all this was happening to finally step up. Well, at least she did. You know, if you're going to step, at any, uh, step up at any point. Yeah, I know. Let it be now. <laughs> Better late than never, as they say. And I guess on that, you know, on with Sienna, we found out a bit more about her. She was studying to be a doctor and she's not a fucking child, as she tells you. <laughs> but uh, that whole scene, that early scene there in the household of the getting things ready and the soap to mm-hmm. stop the squeaky gate and to, to give some privacy over the windows, all of that preparation scene... I love the dynamic in the kitchen there with Lawrence coming in, and that's kind of the first setup of obviously the usurping of his power to June. Absolutely, yeah, she was one hundred percent the boss there, and and totally made Sienna realise that. And in the end, Sienna was doing what June said, not what Joseph Lawrence said. Yeah, and so yeah, it totally set up the scene later on. By the way, on that, thinking about their plan as we were talking about last week and last episode, and with and um, and we're sort of wondering about the logistics. Got to say, hats off to them. Smudging windows didn't, yeah. it didn't even occur to me. Yeah, you know? greasing yeah. the creaky, um, you know, <laughs> doors. Yeah, so smart. I'm getting some tips here, getting some <laughs> life hacks, as they say. Because I was um, wondering what they were doing with all that soap. It was really yeah. kind of weird initially. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah smart. It had, had its own logic. On that though, with the planning, 
was it a bit weird that they kind of hadn't worked out the transport route to get to the airport yes. until it got dark? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, because well, weren't part they, of plan. they were assuming it was still going to be trucks for a while, weren't they? Or had that plan fallen apart earlier? When the roadblock happened, I guess they had to have yeah. a change of plan. But Which, it was also a little bit, did you not have a plan B? Exactly. Like, you're only asking Lawrence for maps now? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Thankfully, it all fell into place. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, you're right. That should have been thought through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. It's a bit of a funny one. Just a sidebar on Sienna, when she did say that she was studying to be a doctor, <laughs> I just thought, oh, your parents would have probably been so proud of you because, like, because I think she's South Asian background, as I am. And, you know, being a doctor is like every immigrant parent's dream. And so it just made me imagine her backstory a little bit more and her family and all the rest. I mean, you know, maybe I'm making a stereotype of my own people, but I'm sure just... they were proud. Her parents were proud. <laughs> <laughs> so on Sienna, just checking... She's actually still in Gilead now, isn't she? She didn't actually get out. Yeah. She didn't die either. No, no. Well, She's just... One Martha did cop it, but... Um, yeah, who died? I don't know. But I think, yeah, we last saw Sienna on the ground there. Yeah, she stayed back to throw rocks. So, yeah, was... in the end, it's a great question. Who did who did die? I think they all pretty much made it, really. Because oh, well, I thought at one point Janine died. Oh. So did I. Yeah. <laughs> but she was down on the ground and it was not looking no. good. No, I don't no, I don't think no, she's no, actually no. dead, yeah, but yeah. I thought for a minute. Oh, so well, she I. came back as well, like the yeah, next day. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I was so sad that she didn't get on the plane with Rita. I really wanted her to get on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> but also glad that she came back to help yeah. to help June. The, the part that um Sani talked about what made you cry in this episode. And weirdly enough, it's kind of funny to reflect on the show and sort of and realize which point is actually that trigger that does make you cry. And for me, for some reason, it's Rita. Like when she gets out of the plane and then she sort of like sinks to the ground and she's got these tears falling and it's just oh my gosh, it just gets me every time. I can't even talk about it. I think mm. I might cry again. Yeah. It's just like, I'm just, I didn't realise I was just so like into her storyline. <laughs> yeah. I'm very, very, very happy for her. I know. And I liked when, um, obviously, Emily realised who she was. She, she recognised her. But uh, when she says Rita, Rita doesn't know who's saying it. And she immediately, like, it's first it's a cautious, like, look, look to who, who knows me. What have I, you know, am I in trouble here? But um, when they touch and, you know, we know Emily had trouble having human connection when um, when she first got out. But the fact that she reaches out to, to Rita, that shows a bit of development that we haven't seen because we haven't seen it for a few weeks. So that was a nice little shortcut catch up to Emily's doing a bit better. She's now working in the, you know, helping out to greet refugees, uh, seeing the gang mm-hmm. all back together in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Not all the gang, I Where, to say. And, and their, um, their little humanitarian sashes were noticeably handmaid's robe colours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. sure were. Coincidence, of course, but the dad of Kiki saw her coming off the plane. We needed that to, of course, get to Luke, you know, yeah. being triggered there. Because she uh, was pretty much Hannah for the whole episode. Assuming as we couldn't mm. get Hannah, she effectively was Hannah the whole time. Yeah. That's that, a little bit cheesy, but I don't care. I loved it anyway. Oh, no, I agree. <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah. No, I'm not. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes the show reminds us of the show and that's fine. <laughs> you know, these things happen in TV shows. But yeah, it was it was a nice moment. And of course, if your daughter was in Gilead, you would be working for all refugees and he's probably looked at incoming, if, or if there have been any children yet. Um, but yeah, he's always looking for his daughter and there's that one day where it's her, so... There's more to their story implied. It did also remind me that a lot of these kids who have just gotten out won't have parents in Canada. Yes. Even though Kiki or Rebecca, was that her name? I thought it was Rebecca. I think I her Gilead no name idea. was Kiki. Yeah. 
Oh, and her mother right. called her Peanut at one point. Oh, did she? <laughs> yeah. So when, go peanut, when Peanut found her dad, it reminded me that, you know, so many of those other kids are actually going to be orphans here in Canada. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the scene of, yeah, Kiki, Rebecca, Peanut, <laughs> whatever we want to call her, in the basement with June, that was quite gorgeous. Wise beyond to use that little kid. She's a good actress, hey? <laughs> yeah, she's good. That was a nice, a beautiful scene. When uh, June was explaining, you know, what getting out would look like and she could wear anything and love whoever she wanted. Mm. I love that after that, when, when the girl goes to eat her lunch, she bites into an apple, the fruit of knowledge, like the forbidden fruit. And so that just tied together rather nicely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. And I thought that speech as well, like you can wear whatever you want and love whoever you want. It had a little bit of sting to it as well, because I mean, it's, you know, in Gilead, yes, where we, the outside world is freedom, freedom for days and you can do whatever the hell you want. But yeah, I thought it, you know, we had a little sting in the tail of, is it though? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, are you entirely free when you're out? Can can you wear whatever you want and love whoever you want and not have any? What do you mean? That's interesting. Well. In terms of like in Canada that she wouldn't. Well, not specifically Canada. Right. I mean, like, you know, non-Gilead world, women still have it pretty hard. Right, like, right. It's not the... It's not utopia out there. No, it's either. not utopia out there. Even so saying, I think it was... like, you don't have to get married if you don't want to. You don't have to have kids if you don't want to. And it's funny because going against the grain is actually still really hard, um, even when you're outside of Gilead. So yeah, I, mm. I quite like that speech as well as a bit of a, as a bit of a reminder of what we do have and what we don't have. Exactly. Yeah, and people who are, whose rights are completely deprived, mm. we've got it pretty good. But yeah, there are women in the world who who clearly do not. And. That grace that she said, mm. Mm. that didn't sound particularly Gileadian. Was that um, <laughs> maybe remembering something from before? For food in a world where many walk in hunger. For faith in a world where many walk in fear. For my family in a world where many walk alone. We give thanks, O oh Lord. Amen. Amen. It was lovely, yeah. yeah. It actually felt very, very mature. It felt like something an adult would say. Mm. She was like well, a little June as well. Like she was a Hannah and June mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. sort of. Although what struck me about that conversation was when the girl was asking what exactly it meant to be getting out and she didn't really understand the idea of freedom because she didn't remember the time before Gilead. That's all she knew. Yeah. So I don't know if that grace would have been from the before time because it was, you know. That's true. Before she could remember. That's true. Yeah, it just didn't strike me as something that they might say in Gilead. That would. <laughs> it was a bit too kind and yeah. like magnanimous almost. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. A lot yeah. of these kids would be coming from, you know, households where they felt at home, where their Gileadian parents were the only parents that they knew. Mm-hmm. It sort of surprised me that a little girl like that uh, was so blindly happy to go along with this idea of getting out when she didn't know what the outside world was or what she was missing or how the things she was being taught were so horrible and restricting for yeah. her gender. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, she remembered her dad. So clearly yeah, that's true. clearly there are some elements in there which she hadn't forgotten. So she kind of would have a sense of unease, I'm going to guess, even even whether, whether she properly knew it or not, you know, part of her would know that. Mm. But that's the thing, right? There's just going to be... So much trauma for these kids, which is probably never going to end, which sort of moves to a scene which I think was meant to be lovely, and it kind of was lovely, but... Um, <laughs> which one? What are you talking about? I'm like, you all know which one I no. mean. <laughs> which one? Um, no. When Joseph Lawrence was reading a book to oh, the kids. Oh, yeah. Partly from the damping influence of this alarm, 
partly to rest Silver and the sick folk. The whole party... Treasure um, Island. Yeah. Oh, is that what it was? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, it sounded familiar, but I was too wrapped up in the moment to properly think about which book it was and maybe what its significance was. And, of course, it meant so many things. It meant that he was finally on board with the plan. It meant he had a very wild Junes off being this massive badass. He's the one who's just doing story time with the kids. <laughs> and he's reading them a book, which, I'm, which, of course, he has books at his house. And I'm assuming all those girls may not have even had a story read to them yeah. for, for years. So it was quite a magical moment in many ways. Mm. And June, you know, walked over to him and and everything to sort of make a point of how amazing this is. And it was nice in the it was nice in the moment, but as I was saying, like when you sort of reflect on parts of the episode later, I was just like thinking about like the little girls and when they actually grow up and them thinking back on that moment. And I'm like, I think I'd be really angry and grossed out to oh. like Flash forward, you know, 20 years and they've now probably had a lifetime of trauma, heaps of therapy, probably still dealing with all this Gilead <laughs> stuff. Then to look back and realise that they were sitting at the feet of the man who caused all of that for yeah. them. Yeah. I'd be looking back going, why didn't they give me a pen too? Like, <laughs> <laughs> could, have been like a, yeah. could have been like a murder on the Orient Express sort of a thing <laughs> where like every girl gets a pen. <laughs> That's yeah. a great point, actually. Yeah, That's so true. Yes, I mean, they're escaping from his house and, it, you know, he's having a, a role in their departure. But, yeah, if he'd never done this in the first place, they wouldn't... No one would be there. They were ripped away from their parents. Yep. Their father was likely killed. Their mother was probably a handmaid and they have how many siblings in Gilead which they've left behind and they actually have no idea. Like the, mm -hmm. <laughs> like the trauma would just go on for years and years and years. So, yeah, I'd be looking back on that lovely scene where this <laughs> kind old man is reading them a story and go, yeah, no. <laughs> Dude, no. Um, also, I mean, he could have given the book to a woman. Like, you know, one of the Marthas, or they were probably off, you know, tying ribbons around the trees to do the access route. But still... Some, it was Sienna there? Not sure, but, you know, could have given the book to a woman to read to the kids. That one might have been a nice touch. But anyway, um, <laughs> yes, well said, Nat. Fair points. And also linked in quite nicely with the conversation he had with June after all the children had left, where one of the first things he said was that he doesn't really doesn't really like kids. <laughs> yes. um, I hate flying and kids. No. <laughs> um, just one other thing about... Lawrence, I, I've seen there's been some chatter online about people wondering, now that his wife has gone, why he would carry out with the plan because she was the whole reason for him doing it, mm. which I didn't really buy at all because I figured now in her memory, like he's more galvanised, he wants to honour her memory and do what she wanted done. So I, I didn't see any sort of reason why he mm. wouldn't carry through with the plan. Mm. And clearly he, you know, went forward. I agree. Like that was, that was what I thought as well. But I was thinking like he's such a scaredy cat. Like, but he's got nothing to lose now. The thing he cared about most is already gone. No, he does. His life. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He did. He's probably accepted that he's not he going to have a good happy ending here at all. And he also way. didn't. He also didn't go through with the plan that he had prepared because he didn't leave. He decided to stay. Yeah. He was going to leave Gilead. But he's decided to stay, and he's like, hinted at yeah, yeah. What next season holds. Yeah, 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 captain yeah. with a sinking ship. Yeah, yeah. Look, I know that I said as my favourite moment was Moira getting on the plane first, but my other favourite moment, which was a really small one, was finding out that Amartha had actually killed two people to yes. get that baby on that plane. And I was like, 
I just love that the whole episode, women are, women are just like, I was going to say killing it. <laughs> just, they're just killing it. <laughs> like left, right, left, right, and so good. And yeah. one Martha, literally, you know, like um, it's actually quite amazing when you think about like the lengths they're willing to go to to save those kids. And, um, and I'm assuming as well as soap getting passed around in those bags, Rohypnol was also getting passed ah, around yeah. at Evidently, some point. yeah. And what, a, what um, a crappy walking partner that I didn't notice any of it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. He was, he was oblivious. Totally. Um, but on that note, with the, yeah, that Martha showing the ruthlessness that, um, you know, June alludes to in the start in that great monologue of like this talent for ruthlessness. Some people have it, mm. some people don't, that obviously she has cultivated as a result of being in Gilead for five years. Yeah, it's nice to see other people have the same instincts when when it calls for it mm. um yeah that that was pretty great so and that and that little baby is dressed exactly the same way that nicole is dressed in the season finale of of last season it was kind of telling that little exchange happens between rita and june almost like it was an alternate way that last season could have gone you know yeah. had um serena and fred found out yeah no i wonder had they um have they just got drafts in uh, in the writers' room of ways to get <laughs> ways to get kids up? That was maybe option A last year, but they've just, <laughs> could have been Nicole. Um, Can I just say I love that on an episode where which is all about getting kids out. This is the one episode where Greta's been awake the whole time, and we keep hearing her. It's so appropriate. Well done, baby girl. <laughs> Kicking around at the moment. Yeah, she's got some real big thoughts about this episode. So we've dealt with the route that people in Gilead have taken to get to Canada. Others have taken other ways to get into Canada, and that's an inelegant segue to Fred and Serena, who we catch up on for a brief scene, but brief but quite fantastic. Serena's on the verge of getting a day pass out there because she's been so cooperative and she's, you know, the traumatised, separated wife of um, that big bad Fred Waterford. Little does Tuello know, she, not everything was coerced that, that she got up to in Gilead. So She's evil in her own right, too. Yeah. Doesn't Fred have a field day having, you know, being looking super tired, being interrogated by women? Exclusively by women. Right. <laughs> so he's got some stories to tell. I love that. Well, just on in terms of how that was shot as well, that scene... Um, where Fred's in that room, I quite liked how it was lit because he was actually caged on all sides by light. Mm. So, you know, he was, there was no physical cages. He's obviously caged. But the way they shot it and the way they lit it just looked really cool. I thought yeah. It, was a, oh, no. <laughs> it just looked really cool. Really highlighted the bags under his eyes as well, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the exhaustion was great. So, Serena is due for some up, comeuppance now as well. Little uh, Thank God. She could not get off. That would be the worst way to end this season if she just gets off scot-free and she's got her free hall pass for Canada and off she, you know, trundles into the sunlight. I'm so glad yeah. there's something more coming for her. Yeah, that, yeah, they didn't need to be in it much. That was that was one little catch-up that we needed there. So, <laughs> Which is basically in an episode where all of these kids got free, in my mind, by capturing Serena as well, it means Nicole got free of her mm. as well, which I thought mm. was quite nice. And so the other part of the Serena storyline is... Tuello, because we had talked about him last week and we were wondering what his big game was, what his game plan with Serena was, what this what this deal that she had actually made was. And he's been so nice to her. Like and he was and he was so nice that we thought it was like a tactic. It was so intriguing to see how his demeanor changed completely when he was arresting her. He, mm. But he just looked very disapproving, like this woman who he thought she was completely was not who she thought she was. 
he very much painted her as like just a one-dimensional victim almost, I think. Yeah. Which I think is kind of sexist on his part, yeah. to be honest. Like she was a very well-known spokesperson for pre-Gilead like philosophy. Yeah. She was doing university le- like tours and writing books. You know, people and he knew knows who she that, was. But yeah. he still he still stripped that sort of agency from her almost and yeah, just saw yeah. her as like a, a victim that needed help to get out and, and, you know, could prove useful in some ways. Yeah, that's what drove me nuts. Like, despite knowing that she was one of the people who also was instrumental in um, Gilead coming to power, that 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 he actually was, it seems now, genuinely just being nice to her because he felt sorry for her. Yeah, I think it's shades of it, though. Like, I do think he, he saw the usefulness of having her on side to get Fred in the grand scheme his his focus would be on the biggest fish. So I yeah, I think it's all part of real politics and how, you know, yeah. people trade things up like we've done we've, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I think he was willing to cuz she was obviously subjugated. She was in Gilead, but yeah. she found her own way access routes to power as we know, but as people outside Gilead wouldn't I, know. I guess given how shocked he seemed or affected by the yeah. like the revelation of what she did is what made me think, wow, did you really think she wasn't capable of evil at all in her own right? Like, mm. you know, why are you this shocked? But, yeah. I think probably the assumptions of what Gilead is and knowing it subjugates women to that degree just yeah. the assumptions that there is no possibility to have power, but of it, you know, not really understanding women too, like that that there's the, there's there are ways to find power. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Ideally, for for the better, <laughs> not for evil. In Serena's case, yeah. not so much. But what about Fred? Huh? Like, what a great marriage they have. <laughs> Those uh, two. <laughs> as soon as he could dob her in, he did. But uh, you know. If I was Fred, I'd probably do the same once you learn that she dubbed him in. Yeah, yeah, exactly, I think. <laughs> they're both horrible and they deserve each other. Yeah, they're a perfect match. <laughs> Look, I really like the role that women played in this episode, but I also quite like the way that they portrayed men in this episode. When you think about what role all the guys had, they were either like the evil guards who were sort of hunting them down or being cruel to them. Like one of the first men we see is the guard that's with... June when she's out shopping in the very beginning and he, like, grabs her on the arm quite forcibly. So they're, they're either treating them badly or they're like Joseph Lawrence and they're trying to shut the whole plan down. Um, so every step of the way, like, like the guys had a real backseat role in this. And so I'm actually relieved. So we can't not talk about Nick. Oh, yeah. And I'm actually relieved that he didn't <laughs> turn up him. because if yeah. he did, because, like, I think we learned last year in, in the season finale last year, he's... His role in that big escape plan was very limited. It, all it was was stopping Fred from leaving his room and that was it. So I'm really glad, even though even though I've wanted to see what he's up to, I'm really glad that he didn't make an appearance in this episode because he just would have stolen June's thunder, you know. He couldn't, yep. he couldn't be the guy that comes in to save the day. So I quite enjoyed the role that men had in this episode. And so really they were either really horrible to the women trying to keep them in line or they were trying to stop their plan. And on the other side, you had Luke, who was really just in a caretaking father role, which was quite nice. Mm. And the women saved the day, and it was Moira that got on the plane, and it's Emily handing out things <laughs> to kids. Um, anyway, yeah, two thumbs up. I agree fully on the women doing it for themselves, but I did want an update on Nick. I didn't want him oh. to swoop in and save the day because that would, yeah, that'd be shit. But I did want to know where he is and what he's doing and just, you know, a very quick scene would have would have done me. <laughs> That's I, all. I'm fine because then it would have taken us to Homeland location and it would have yeah, complicated things. Like, I know. There was a lot to get through you in this one. You can't it all. <laughs> yeah. And it just saves you something for next year. So yeah, this is true. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Got to have a little carrot for, to come back for season Exactly. Four. 
all those aerial shots at the end and when you see like the six handmaids carrying June and that, that sort of, look, I don't know whether there was any greater meaning or any anything in those, but I really enjoyed it. Well, yeah, quite, it was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, almost like you would carry a casket, really. Yeah. Wasn't mm. It was sort of like a, mm. a yeah. non-funeral. <laughs> Happily, <certainly> she's <laughs> well. She's probably got a fair <laughs> bit of internal bleeding, but... Uh, I felt like like a... Well, Feels they, like we always watch all those aerial shots of handmaids when you sort of see their white bonnet from above. It always feels like that has been part of a ritual scene, you know, like um, for all the weird rituals that they that they always have in Gilead. That sort of felt like one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it made me think of at at the end. But I don't I don't know mm. whether I'm just reading into things. But um, well, this show they're, they're very fond of that eye of God shot. Yeah, you know, like the drones and the the aerial shots. Like, a, yeah, I do think it it is kind of like an eye of God just looking on this world of Gilead. It was quite beautiful. Yeah, I did like that. It was one long shot that sort of went from high above and then sort of twisted down to the kind of yeah, the close like up the that we spiral. see. Yeah, the June, June zoom. <laughs> yeah, the June zoom exactly. Except this time with her eyes closed. Yeah, I thought it was beautiful. And the song that Google tells me is from Mazzy Star, "Cold Into Dust," was just hauntingly beautiful. Mm. Yeah, that's no, gorgeous. So I think that's it, really, for recapping the finale this week. And here is where we would normally start our speculation and go a bit nuts on what we think uh, Season 4 is going to open with. But we're not going to do that today because we've got one more podcast left in us. Uh, We're going to have our season finale uh, next week. But this one is going to be from the Eyes on Gilead live show, which is a thing that is happening in Sydney on August 18. And thank you so much to everyone who has snapped up tickets to this ridiculous idea of ours. <laughs> and for those who can't make it, we understand uh, not everyone can get to the Factory Theatre on Sunday. We're going to record that one so it's going to come out so everyone can um, partake in some of the crazy speculation that we intend to do. And we're going to look back over the season as a whole to just understand all the pieces that uh, fit together to make this show. Because there are so many callbacks that, yeah, it all pieces together like a big old jigsaw puzzle. So we're going to do our best to really just take a look back and see what's got us to this point where June's being carried off by the handmaids with a gunshot wound (laughs) and who knows what the hell is going to await her. So thank you for listening. We do hope that helped. As I say, we've got one more left in us. So thank you to my co-hosts, Haiti Island and Baby Greta and Natalie Hambly and Sana Kadar. Welcome back and thank you. Thank you. And thank you for making this show a part of your Handmaid's Viewing experience. We are always blown away by your kind words and we love reading your wild theories on Twitter when you use the hashtag EyesOnGilead. Speaking of which, we've got a couple of tweets. Yeah, there was a good one from Maomi a couple of days ago who pointed out that perhaps Commander Lawrence and June both checked in on Eleanor and let her die and not just June. Which we didn't we didn't yeah. think of that last I like week. That but one. since it was pointed out, I was just like, Oh my goodness, maybe that's why there were so many weird expressions between them in the kitchen and <laughs> the funeral because they're both trying to Oh, their guilty conscience is coming yeah, out. Yeah. yeah, sort of like silently confessing to yeah. Um Angela FW also tweeted uh, to say that Lawrence does realise June helped with his wife's death. Of course he does. Didn't he show her that some must be sacrificed to save others when she had to select Martha's from the cages? Mm. And I thought that was a really good point. He, he taught her this lesson. Yeah. Adds more weight to that theory too, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. So they are great. And uh, yeah, as they've done, uh, use the hashtag Eyes on Gilead if you do want to uh, give us some of your theories and some speculation. Someone on iTunes just said, may the Lord open a Melbourne show. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. 
And if you can't make the live show and you want to have a presence there, tweet some questions. Like we're going to be doing a bit of a Q and A there as well. So if you've got a question that you want read out and answered and have 500 <laughs> handmaids obsessives react to it, send us a question on Twitter using the hashtag Eyes on Gilead, and we'll do our best to, to fit it into the show. And while we've got you listening to a podcast, feel free to leave feedback and give us a rating, whatever platform you're listening on. And for more Handmaid's coverage, you can check out SBS Guide. We also have some recommendations for other things to watch. Now that Handmaid's is over. <laughs> I mean, what a, I don't even want to think about that. But mm. that said, you can now rewatch the entire season. It's uh, now streaming as a box set at SBS On Demand. So go in there. Try and piece together yourselves. Look at this jigsaw puzzle. This is crazy show. It's so weird that it's over. It's been I such know. a fixture in our lives for the last <laughs> three months or something. I'm really going to miss these weekly chats. <laughs> and if you do reach out on Twitter, you can find me at anything but Fifi. Haiti, where can we find you? At Haiti Island. Sana. At Sana underscore Kadar. And Natalie. At Natalie Handley. And as I say, use the hashtag Eyes on Gilead. Eyes on Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, and edited and mixed by Jeremy Walmart. I shall keep the subversive nonsense to a minimum then. Back to your duties. You got it. Until next time, one more to go. Don't let the bastards grind you down.